This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 311. Hello, everybody. Once again, this is the third episode in a row where we are recording during the day. Which means you are high energy. I am and high I am energy, not. and you are not high energy. That's a weird thing. But anyway, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Family Gamers Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anita. That's me. This is episode 311, which means that thing we do. We have a guest on the show. This week, we have on the show a just a dear gaming friend of mine. Colin Young, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you two doing? <laughs> We're doing well. We've kept the same brand. You have not. That is our topic <laughs> for this episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. I'm actually super excited for everything that's happening in your world. In the board game space and otherwise, but we're only talking about board games here um, for lots of different reasons. And again, we'll get into that second half of the show. We have to start with a fact. Yes. Before we started recording, Colin, I said I was going to tell you the fact in advance, and then I didn't tell you the fact in advance. So, so here we go. If I say 311 to you, what do you think? My first inclination is that you're going to bust out some kind of... Uh, Kmart version of Sublime. Uh, Pretty much, yes. I am thinking about 311, the band. That is exactly where I am at. (laughs) Oh, Um, no. I think, like, the song that I remember is Down. I remember exactly this many songs. Yeah. audio medium, so I want the audience to know I made a zero symbol. (laughs) So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a clip of the song, Down. I'm going to run it under this in post so everybody can hear the chorus, which is the part that people remember. Um, And hopefully this doesn't get some kind of, like, takedown notification or something. I don't know. They probably will never listen. I don't think they care. But, um, you know, if if you're not hearing the the music right now, it's because I was told by a lawyer to take it out. Good preamble. Good preamble. Yeah. Two shocking things about this band. Well, one of them is one of them is extremely shocking, which is they are still going. They were okay. formed in 1988. Wow. They are still going 31 years later. And that means they're like the band members are older than we are because we were six years old in 1988. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to imagine the songs that six-year-olds would be making. <laughs> it would be songs about poop. That's that's where the down would come from. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) Um, but actually the other thing, which is marginally less shocking, I suppose, is, um, do you know why their name is 311? Not now that I know they're that old. (laughs) So (laughs) I looked this up, obviously. The band's name originates from the police code for indecent exposure in Omaha after the original guitarist for the band was arrested for streaking. Everything about what you just said to me conforms to my worldview about this band. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it fits. And, and I got to be honest with you, we watched the music video for Down before we started recording. Man, is that a 90s video. We it watched is about 30 dumb. seconds of the video. Boy, howdy, is that and dumb. And as soon as we got into the chorus, I was like, oh, suddenly I, I remember being Oh, man, it, it brought me right. And I don't like it. Right back to grunge wearing, like Nirvana shirts everywhere. Like The that. Nirvana shirts everywhere is coming back, which is really I don't think it ever went away. Because I, teenagers now don't actually. It went away. Yeah, I don't think it, it ever went away. But teenagers now don't actually listen to Nirvana. 
they just like the shirts because they think they're cool. They are cool. Absolutely. I used to work in, in an earlier life. One of my first jobs was working in a rock shop that sold band tees. And I assure you at Nirvana, the Ramones, that stuff sold as a brand, not as a band. And the most popular t-shirt with young kids in this year, in like the late 2000s, was still absolutely Icarus from Led Zeppelin. I don't know why, sure. but that's still the number one. So yes, it's just Nirvana cool. shirts. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, look, look, they managed to insert themselves into the cultural zeitgeist for like for real. Yeah. So good for them. Hey, Dave Grohl needs to double dip on both of those bands. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Let's reel it back away from 90s bands, please. And we're going to talk about our sponsor, First Move Financial. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a young family earning a combined $100,000 with a net worth of around $25,000 and the goals of buying a home and starting a family in the next few years. Continuing with the student loans example from last week, this week we'll talk about the paydown strategy we may need to start saving for an eventual tax bomb. If you have loans forgiven, then the U.S. counts that as taxable income. This has been specifically changed to not include the student loans forgiven until the end of 2025, so for the next three years. But if this example client is in a forgiveness program of the older style and won't be meeting their number of payments requirement in that time, they'll want to have money saved up to pay the taxes on the loan forgiveness. Thanks again to First Move Financial for this advice. And if you would like to see how First Move can help you meet your financial goals, Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a free 15-minute phone call. Thanks so much again to First Move for sponsoring this episode of the show. All right, Colin, are you ready to talk about some board games? Yes, always All right. board games. Always, let's always do board it. games. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of games that, uh, that you've been playing. Yeah, uh, with COVID and a pregnancy, we've played a lot. My wife and I have played a lot of two-player games over the past little while. One of the ones that we just keep coming back to, and I'm not going to... This is this is where I show my impartiality by not talking about our branded games. Um, <laughs> honestly, as a two-player, we we play a lot of co-ops. Uh, Horrified remains one of Great our game. standards. Throw Great on... Uh, there's a Spotify playlist we just go to. Throw it up. Uh, that one has been... Honestly, just it, easy to play, great theme. I'm a huge fan of the Universal Monster movies uh, since I was a kid, so that one just scratches a lot of different itches for both of us. Very Love cool. it. Love it. Do you want to go next? Uh, sure. We have been playing some more Get On Board. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now or you want to talk about that later? I mean, I'll talk about it right now. Okay. I really like it. All right. You got <laughs> Everybody it. Everybody else I've played with it is... Less enthusiastic than me, but I, I haven't played it with anybody who was like, yeah, I never want to play this again. So so my thing, okay, so I like this game a lot. It feels like Ticket to Ride crossed with Welcome To, yeah. which is, I think, what it's supposed to feel like. I don't know if this is a bad thing to say, but I hate playing this game on Board Game Arena. I they just, I, there are some games, like Seasons is a perfect example of a game that I want to play on Board Game Arena because it's too fiddly to play it in person. In yeah. fact, we got a copy of it in person after playing it on BGA. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, there's too much crap here. I don't want to deal and with this. And then we got rid of it again. And then we got rid of it again. Oh, it's so Get good. on. It, it is good, but it's just, there's too many, like, if, if I, I had a game manager that I didn't have to deal with any yeah. of that stuff, fine. 
but get on board. Like I just the UI, like I can't I don't ever know where anything is. It's super and busy. It's super busy. Like, but on a table, I'm like, oh, this is great. I know what's going yeah. on. I can track this stuff. It's easy. But like I think it's something having to do with having to go back and forth between the central board and your personal board. And there's mm-hmm. kind of a lot of stuff going on on your personal board. So like it's just it, online. I'm just like, it doesn't Yeah. So you've got me. your player sheet that you're marking stuff mm-hmm, off mm-hmm. on and they try to do a good job with that on board game arena, but it ends up being like, okay, I made this move and they bring up like a little chunk of the player sheet of like, okay, that means you're marking this thing off. And it just, it feels a little bit more hectic that way. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I enjoy it just fine on board game arena, but I still prefer it in person. Absolutely. Yeah, strong agree. I know there's always that gulf between a game you want to be able to play more and online is just so convenient, but it, it really can't replace the in-person dynamic. Draftosaurus yeah. for me is the same. I will play it oh, every yeah. week, but online, I'm glad it's there. I'm always yeah, happy that the option is available, and yet I want to be like, yeah, pick up the piece and put it on the board and pass them around. Like dinosaur a, meeples are so great. Yes, yeah. There's the are. tactile quality, and mm-hmm. I, I agree. Get on board really does have that. Yeah, I mean that whole thing is very dependent on the game, right? So yeah. some games just work really well in that digital medium, and for me at least, get on board is not one of them, and that's fine. Yeah. So, however, Baron Park, I'm loving Baron Park online. I'm playing a lot of that. That game is really good. Are you sure you're not just loving it because you keep destroying me and Nick over and over and over again? You know what? I Listen, I'm just thankful I found a game that I can beat you at, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> All right. That's fair. Fair. Um, but that was not the game on my list. The next game on my list, or I guess the first game on my list this week, is a game that we finally got off the shelf of opportunity. Shelf of opportunity. Yep, not the shelf of shame. This is a right. game I picked up a while ago. Like I saw it when it first came out, and I was kind of interested, but it's also a party word game. It's not that we have a hard time getting them to the table. It's that we have a bunch of them. And people generally are like, well, we know how to play this one. So So why are we going to have to go through the teach and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, we played Trap Words from Czech Games Edition. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting game. So it's a kind of a classic taboo style word guessing game where you have a clue giver and then you have a team who's trying to guess the word. But there's a couple things that are a little bit different about it. First of all, they kind of put this fantasy theme on it. So the idea is that every word represents another room in a dungeon and you're working your way towards the final boss and you want to kill the final boss. Fine. But the thing about it that's interesting is that this is essentially taboo, but the clue giver doesn't know what words they're not allowed to say. <laughs> the other team, the other team gets picks to them. decide right. what words they're not allowed to say. Yeah. So okay. the way they do this is they have this. It's a. I think it's usually five tiles, but it's a variable difficulty board. So the the game has double sided tiles. So they go like one to twelve or one to ten or something like that. Yeah. And when you put the tiles down, you put them in sequence. So you go from smallest to highest. But they may not be one, two, three, four, five. They may not be five, six, seven, eight, nine. They may be one, four, seven, nine, ten, or whatever. Like it's just whatever comes out. That doesn't really matter. The part that matters is the number on the tile determines how many trap words the other team writes down that you then cannot say. Mm. <laughs> so okay. when you get to tile 10, the other team is writing down 10 words that are <clears throat> immediate fail words. Okay, which is pretty interesting. And then just to mix it up a little bit more, they add these curse cards, which mean those are additional things kind of to things. make it hard. Yeah. So like one of the ones that we ran into was once the guesser guesses 
the clue giver has to stop talking. The clue giver cannot give any more clues. <laughs> it's like, oh no. There's also like, it's there's a- It's not, you can't use cuss words for cursing. Well, well <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> yeah. And what was the other one? Like you had to say something like, I'll eat my hat if it's not yep. castle. Yep. Or, you know, you have and to say, you, I'll eat my if, hat if- And if the guesser forgot to say that, eh, automatic fail. You know, Which your team is repeating. I this room. immediately forgot to do, like right away. And I was like, oh. And let's repeat that room. So, yeah. But so the, that was a mess. So, the cool thing in Trap Words is this mechanic of the other team coming up with the words you're not allowed to say. And we realized that you really need to get in the clue giver's head. So mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit of that back and forth of like, actually, maybe I won't put down this super obvious word because they're going to think that that's a word they can't use. Let me put some of these slightly more obscure words that yeah. I think they're more likely to use in their kind of trying to edge around to get to the right answer. I mean, this is very much channeling Vizzini from <laughs> The Princess Bride, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what this yes. is. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you know that I won't know, but you exactly, know Exactly, exactly. And so we, we played this with a couple, uh, some of our best friends, and when he was giving clues, it was a good idea that I would write down the words, and when she was giving clues, it was a good thing that Anitra would write down the words, because just because of the different, because he's an engineer, you know, that whole Well, and like, stuff. don't use blender as a forbidden word uh, for cluing ninja if the person giving the clues is not a cook (laughs) (laughs) you know stuff like that right so they wrote because the the thing with ninja and i was giving clues and they wrote down blender and when they showed it after we were done they showed oh like we just we just all cracked up laughing i was like like, oh no i would never i my brain never went in that direction (laughs) at all not even um so so anyway so that was pretty entertaining at the end of that we were like you know what i don't really think that we need this game anymore so we moved on from it but um, yeah, it was fun to play, but it was, it was definitely the kind of like, okay, we've played it now and we're done. Yeah. So that was Trap Words. Yep, it totally was. Trap Words was fine. Fun game. Oh, oh, uh, Colin, you're next. Oh, I'm next. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I have recently uh, introduced my folks to one of my absolute go tos. I haven't gotten to play it much in the pandemic because it really shines when it's four to six as opposed to twos right out and three is on the edge but cockroach poker remains my absolute go-to card game for really and i shouldn't say this out loud with my human mouth psychologically abusing friends and family for (laughs) oh that's yeah okay sure sure as long as you know that you leave it at the table i think it's perfectly fair yes exactly and that's i just like a good bluffing game i like a good game where i'm playing the table for those that aren't familiar with it, it's just a it's a 64 card deck, eight cards each, and eight different suits of creepy crawly critters, flies, stink bugs, rats, cockroaches, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to get rid of. Uh, you're trying to make other players take their cards by not just not knowing when you're lying, but not knowing when you're telling the truth, and just making sure they always think you're doing the opposite of what you're doing, mm-hmm. or being so uncertain about what you're doing that they just don't even they hedge their bets. They look at the card and they pass it to someone else and then they put their butts on the line. That one definitely, when I say goes over well, it's it's a tricky thing when a bluffing game goes over well because everyone is definitely mad, but in a very positive, productive way. Yeah, it's, it's fun, It's mad. finding that positive, productive uh, yeah. anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Fun, mad, fun, mad. I mean, I, I kind of feel that way about Skull King. It's the same yeah. kind of fun, mad. You They're know? like, you jerk. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, Let's play again. Yeah, yeah. And I always lose at skulking too. So, except for that one time that I won. <laughs> uh, what else we got? 
We played some more delicious. Well, you played some more delicious. I played some more delicious. Yeah. I taught our teenager how to play delicious. I had to look up my exact quote from her because she said, it's cool. It took more brain than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's something about like teenager quotes, like really distilling, like just straight id. Like, <laughs> yes. you know, just this is where it is. Here's my lizard brain. Absolutely. So, Last time we complained a little bit about the drawing aspect in Delicious because it's a it's a flip and write game except they really encourage you to draw pictures instead of just writing down what you what you got and it kind of annoyed Andrew and I like I see the point of it I think that is what brought it from like this game is fine to yeah it's kind of cool for our daughter just that mm-hmm. little extra not just deciding where to put you know a carrot but then asking yourself like oh right how do I draw a carrot. Well, I mean, (laughs) that's what we said, though. Like, and and I wouldn't say I was annoyed. I just I didn't feel like that part of the game added value to me. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is we have now found someone within our family where that part seems to add value. Yeah, And I think that's what we kind of conjectured last week. So anyway, good to uh, good to have that played by her. Um, Let's see. Next on the list is a game from 25th Century Games. This is Cryptid Cafe. Mm -hmm. Have you played this one? I haven't played this one yet. Yeah, we are getting ready to release a review for this in the month of October because it's October and you release we games. We actually about, yeah. have a bunch of like vaguely spooky like, games to yeah, talk about, that's the plan. which that's is the plan. unusual right. for us. So. Um, so Cryptic Cafe, I mean, look, this is a pretty standard get one of these games where you've got customers that are sliding through your cafe and you need to pay them before they fall off the end. We talked about uh, Kim Joy's Magic Bakery, which is a, co- a collaborative version of this, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. There's a bunch of games like this. We played that what was that robot waiter game a while ago. Yeah. That we played that was that was, was kind of like that. It was, yeah, it was a self-published game. Robo Diner. Ro- yeah, that's what it was. So, you know, I mean, these things... I think you've seen this kind of general game before. It got a, a lot of clever puns with some of the names of things with cryptids and whatever and that, you know, that kind of stuff. It was fine. It's a fun game to kind of play in a casual setting during the kind of creepy crawly season, I think. It's fine. It's yeah. a serviceable game. It wasn't broken. The art is it's cutish. You know, it's, it's spoopy. That's the word, right? Spoopy. Spoopy. I believe that's right. That's the right yeah. word. Yeah. So that's Crypto Cafe. All right. Yep. That's a short one. Uh, all right, Colin. One more. Come on, you can do it. I have faith in you. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use one, but it's kind of a weird cop out because it's out of print. It's just a household favorite. That's fine. That's fine. Whatever. But I'm gonna have to bust out. Um, this is one of my when when I first met my wife. Uh, this was one of her favorites that she actually owned, uh, and to see it on the shelf with a bunch of other titles, which seemed a little bit more, uh, you know common like oh yeah i've got this game this game oh and i'm a big fan of the board game disc world by martin wallace i'm like i beg your pardon (laughs) uh and i hadn't played it in a while she refreshed my uh my memory on the rules and gave me a thorough drubbing because she's excellent at the game uh because she's (laughs) somehow an avid uh avid reader of the books does translate into better skill (laughs) <laughs> this works. is the reason why Andrew and I should never play this game because oh. I would I have never played it but I already know I would pound him into the pavement I have read oh. all of the Discworld books many of them multiple times yeah it's a brilliantly enjoyable production I mean the art is just on point uh, for having only read a few of the books it really kind of puts me in the mood up until the point where I feel victory slide away from me once again uh, at which point I probably- <laughs> 
But I mean, I feel like with a game like that, when you're when you're mentally prepared to just get absolutely crushed, it's fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's part of it's part of the role as the husband, right? It's like, did you have a good time? Great. That's definitely how I massage myself. Yes, (laughs) that's how I make myself feel better. Yeah, Uh, I have done my duty. (laughs) But no, she's. uh, I'm I'm always happy to play that one. Um, Always happy to play eighty percent of that one. Let me clarify. Uh, (laughs) I get it. I get it. (laughs) But uh, no, that's been that's been a good two player for us as well. Awesome. Very cool. All right. What's your last one, my dear? Well, speaking of good two-player, both of our boys have been asking me lately to play Onitama. Oh, and uh, they are both enjoying crushing me thoroughly. Uh, <laughs> every once in a while, I win. But especially our eight-year-old has just, like, locked in somehow. And probably because he's usually playing it with, there's a bunch of other stuff going on, and so I can't give the game my full attention. And so he's like, hi, I beat you again! Really? Yeah. I should take him down. <laughs> I, I mean, it was like best two out of three. So I, I did win one. I okay. just, <laughs> no, I'm yeah. I'm just really intrigued because our eight-year-old, I, I mean, obviously I love my eight-year-old to death, but he can become a little self-confident. So uh, you don't say it might. It might be good to take him down a peg. Although if he then turns around and beats me, then I'll be like, all right, the kid's got some skill. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's earned now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Then, exactly. it, then it becomes a, the gauntlets are, are getting thrown down and we're playing everything. Play it like, again. All right, let's pull out Twilight Struggle. Let's see how you do, pal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, that's good. That's good. Only Time is a great game. Another mm-hmm. two-player game, and this will wrap up this section. I want to point out to everybody that for all of the ribbing that Anitra has been giving me about our 10 by 10 all year long, we wrapped up one of the games on our 10 by 10 this past week. Uh, we did. The only two-player game. In your face. We played Royal Visit. It's a great game. Really love it. Yeah. We talked about it a couple weeks ago when we uh, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago when we had Suze Sheldon on, mm-hmm. and we mentioned another game which it's going to be the, I think, the tease before our break, which is uh, Jekyll versus Hyde. Yeah. Yep. Um, that game's really good. Game but anyway, really we finished good. We finished uh, Royal Visit on the 10 by 10, which means that two-player-wise now, we're just going to play Jekyll versus Hyde for the rest of the year. <laughs> Maybe. We did pick up a copy of Fox in the Forest duet, so we're going to try that there. That's true. But that's cooperative. But that's cooperative. cooperative. Yeah. I am prepared for some two-player cooperative action and not just going for the jugular. Well, time. we do that every day with our kids. Yes, but I want it to be fun. Oh. I, know. I, I just got a copy of Codenames Duet for the exact same reason. <laughs> Strong agree. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we're going to take a, a quick break. And then when we come back, we're probably going to talk about more games that we've been playing. But mm-hmm. I really want to like plumb the depths of... Colin and Flat River Group and what that means and what that means for people that are listening to the show. Yes. Because I think there's some interesting things that are coming out of that. We'll be right back. Andrew, are you familiar with a Venn diagram? I mean, true. We're nerds. Yeah. Of course I know what a Venn diagram is. You know what one is, too. Come on. A Venn diagram is when you use overlapping circles to show the differences and similarities between multiple items. Good. Because this is a snap review for Venn, a clever game where clues and art overlap. 
Then is a guessing game for two or more players, ages 10 and up. It's published by The Op, and a full game takes 20 to 30 minutes? Yeah, about that. So, Anitra, let's talk about the art in Ven. Yeah. Well, so there are stacks of cards, as you would guess for a word guessing game. There's a track used for scoring and word assignment. And big floppy circles! Big floppy circles! This track is pretty plain looking, but it's cleverly used for two different things. The cards are weird. Really weird. Like trippy weird. They are surreal in much the same way as a game like Dixit, but it looks like a lot of them were pieced together from clip art. The circles are the cool thing. They are the base of the game. They're translucent so you can lay them out to make your Venn diagram. So Nietzsche, how do you play Venn? There are actually two different ways to play. You can play cooperatively with as few as two people, or in two teams with at least four people. In team play, each team lays out their three circles in overlapping pattern like a Venn diagram. Place four random word cards next to the scoreboard, so each of the 12 numbers line up with a word. The clue giver from each team draws a number card. The three numbers correspond to the words they want their team to guess this round. So in this case, if I drew this card with the numbers 9, 1, and 6, my team's words would be tie, white, and nature. Meanwhile, the other team drew this one with 11, 2, and 10, so their words are precious, sour, and together. When both teams are ready, the clue givers begin quickly looking through their stacks of art cards. If they find one that would be a good clue for their team, they lay it on the diagram. Here's where that Venn name comes in. They may lay the card in a circle by itself to clue a single word, in the join between two circles to clue two words, or in the exact middle to indicate that it's actually a clue for all three words for their team. Each area of the diagram can only hold one card at a time, so if you find an art card that fits better, you have to lay it over the old card completely. The rest of the team discusses what words they think are being clued, and as soon as they think they know, they yell Ven! At this point, both teams stop and must guess their words. Your team gets one point for each correct guess, and a bonus point if they got all three words right. Move the little Venn scoring markers along the track. Refresh the word cards and have a new team member become the clue giver for each team. Draw a number card and get ready to go again. The game ends when at least one team has reached 12 points. For a cooperative version, use a single set of circles and a timer. The clue giver gets just two minutes to lay out art cards and give the best clues possible. Then the rest of the group guesses the three words. Can your group earn 12 points in five rounds or fewer? I think we did. We did. All right. Yes. Well, Anitra, what did we expect from Venn? Well, this looks like a pretty typical word-guessing, clue-giving game. Using a Venn diagram is a little bit nerdy, and we did like that. When I first saw this on the table, I was excited about these floppy circles, because I like the floppy circles. <laughs> they just look cool. They do. So what surprised us about this game? Well, it's nice that we have a game that is a party game, but you can play it with two people if you want to. We definitely like it better with more people as team play, but being able to play it cooperatively was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> the other surprise is the art cards. They are so weird. Really weird. It's hard to use them for clues a lot of the time, but I think that's actually part of the point. 
It's definitely a brain stretch. I love watching people's faces. They're like, no, no, no. I am a little irritated at the word cards and the number cards. They are really easy to read, and the words line up nicely with the scoreboard, but they're not quite square. It makes them hard to line up and put away and put back in the box. So, Andrew, would we recommend Venn? Well, it's easy to understand how Venn is supposed to work, even if the art cards don't always make it easy to play, and they're weird. That makes it actually more of a challenge. This seems like a game that would be great for holidays or family gatherings or even an icebreaker sort of thing. It's the kind of game where overthinking a picture won't really help you. So it works great playing with kids as well. We didn't really like the downtime created when clue givers can't find any cards to place. It's good that they're hard, but when it becomes a long period of time flipping through the cards, it can get a little frustrating. Everybody else is just waiting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But... Like a lot of party games, it supports drop-in and drop-out play pretty seamlessly, so we can't complain about that. So, Andrew, what are we going to rate Ven from the op? Well, just like our diagram, we're going to give Ven three overlapping circles out of five. And that's Ven in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. All right, so let's talk about some stuff. So, Colin, okay. We've known each other for a long time, it turns out. Um, If you include the 28 years of COVID, we've known each other for like 32 years or something like that. I know, it's been a while. There have been a lot of twists and turns uh, along the way. So board games are in a weird place, right? Because everybody (laughs) kind of knows that like, there's this giant company like Asmodee, which has like Mm -hmm. 17, 11 billion brands. And, you know, they do all this stuff. Um, But they were kind of, they were unique in that, I think. Uh, for the most part, I mean, there were a couple. Uh, I mean, unique-ish. You've got but, like your Hasbro's and well, stuff I'm talking like about that, hobby board gaming, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were kind of unique in that they had so many brands. But now we're seeing a little bit of a change, and Flat River Group is a great example of that. Where Flat River Group is this company that you work for, and yes, you sir. now have a whole bunch of brands under your umbrella. We do, we do. So I'm not going to ask about like how that differentiates you from a company like Asmodee because I don't think anybody really cares about that from a business perspective. I mean, I think it's interesting, but that's I'm a weirdo. Um, it's a family show. But um, I think to start off, like, so I think when people hear Flat River Group, they don't know what that means, yeah, right? Because it's absolutely. it's not really you know like F, I don't see FRG on board game covers, so I don't really know what that means. But I know for a fact that people will recognize some of the brands that are under that umbrella. So can you talk about the brands? We'll start there, and that'll kind of. Help with the way we talk to. So, uh, Flat River Group is largely a logistics company. They do uh, warehousing and they do uh, they do shipping uh, peerlessly, like very very strong in that space. But uh, we are trying to make sure that a lot of the publishers that we have worked with in the past are front and forward. So we talk about different types of European publishers that have great creatives but perhaps don't necessarily want to expend or need to expend the bandwidth to be in the u.s market as fully as if they were in the italian or french or german markets and one of the biggest examples of a strong branded publisher that we work with is yellow and people know the company yellow fairly prominently the king of tokyo line bunny kingdom Uh, it is a company that has a lot of uh, distinctive markers, a lot of distinctive titles that people are familiar with. It's been around for a long time. 
And uh, since starting to work with them uh, earlier this year, uh, they've got some great titles coming out and some more stuff coming out next year. So that's one example of a publisher that people may know about. One publisher that they may know less about, but they know their games, would be Horrible Guild. Horrible Guild is a wonderful Italian publisher, and uh, they work with Potion Explosion. They do Dragon Castle. They've done the Railroad Ink line. Mm -hmm. And that is a company that has worked with other publishers in the past. You may have seen Simon branding on there at one time. But the designers themselves are Horrible Guild. And now we work with them to make sure that front and center, those designers and those uh, that publisher uh, gets the recognition and the kind of brand awareness that they ought to have in the US's hobby market. And even Bombix. Bombix is a great example of a French company that uh, definitely people know about their titles. The Abyss line of games, including the standalone card game Conspiracy, Glow uh, that recently came out. They just came out with a new game called Garden Nation that we debuted at Gen Con, which went over gangbusters uh, since Essen of last year. So these are other companies that we want to be able to talk about in a way that if you recognize, hey, I like game X, well, maybe you'll like game Y because it's from the same publisher as opposed to, hey, I like King of Tokyo. Do I also want to play Garden Nation? I mean, maybe, but we don't necessarily want to create all those linkages right away if it's different original creatives. There's not as much connective tissue as, hey, do yeah. you like uh, King of Tokyo? Then may, you might want to see what they're doing with it. Get on board, which we talked about earlier in the episode, as this new title, this new visual identity, that kind of stuff. Let's see. I think the first time we ever like worked together or whatever was probably around Draftosaurus when that game came out, yes. which yes. is a game that we already talked about. Yes. Which rules. Um, yes. So that's on comma. Com- that's um, right. They're a French publisher. Yep. And uh, Drafto, I mean, the world is still technically on fire, so the shipping supplies, but that one's finally <laughs> back in stock. Draftosaurus has been our one of our go-tos since the very beginning, uh, before we were with Flat River. And uh, honestly, it's just such a joy to play those titles and to be able to share them with folks that might not otherwise have those opportunities so you said something in there that was interesting. And I mean, you, you kind of alluded to like there's less connective tissue in there between these. But do you see collaboration between these different lines? Is that something that's potential for the future? It's not necessarily something that we see much of at the moment. If that's something that partners that are in communication wish to look at, that's one thing. But one of the things that we try to highlight for all of our publishers is a platform for their creativity. And a lot of these publishers want to focus on the titles that fascinate them, the styles that really capture them. And you have a get on board is going to be very distinct from, say, a Garden Nation, which will be different from, say, the Similo series. They all have things in common that we enjoy, like table presence, Uh, European publishers often have a keen eye for visual direction, art style, illustration. Mm -hmm. We like to emphasize all of those things. And we definitely like to make sure that most of our catalog, regardless of the publishers, tends to skew towards that eight plus family route. You can play with 
uh, younger children as they're leveling up from some of their kids' games and really bring them into the hobby with any of those publishers. But we want to make sure that they can really reach into their interests and uh, bring out the titles and the design philosophies that they can focus on instead of worrying about how do I sell on the U.S. market, which is very strange to the rest of the world more often than not. <laughs> yeah, that we and and probably most of our listeners are so U.S. centric. The idea that the functionality of the U.S. market is unique is kind of a weird thing, right? It, it's it's just. Hey, America like exists in its own silo, right? I mean, that's that's very much a I mean, a, a lot sometimes. of the perspective. You know, you, as you talk about that, one of the things that it makes me think about is like Synapses games because they, even though they're not visually consistent in their design because they just ha- they have different art direction for different games, mm-hmm. there's always something in their games that stands out artistically. Yes, there's always something, something, right? And I think of. Like I think beta right now, mm-hmm. that game is we've talked about mm-hmm. it on the show before. It's just super rich and beautiful and all the fish are pretty and and, and in a way that fun. that doesn't make it hard to understand or hard to use. Like right. it's it's yes. beautiful art design, but also good user experience design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- I think one of the things about Synapse is that uh while they're a Canadian company, the European influence is a reliance on uh, easy icons, straightforward mm-hmm. imagery, and that kind of European influence really wants to make their title as broadly received as possible to make sure that that language independence uh, really allows for as many people, as many abilities, whether uh, colorblind, whether different kind of uh, play styles are accommodated where possible. Yeah, and that's something the the US market as a whole definitely struggles with. There are some standouts, but yeah, like the, yeah. there are accessibility initiatives, right, as opposed <laughs> to it just being part of the fabric of development. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's different design styles and different publishers. I see I see it getting better. I see it's still yeah, a work I, in I progress, agree. but I do agree that that is Still a, ideally, a space to strive for, to continue mm-hmm. to improve upon, but uh, yeah. agreed that it is work in progress. Well, I mean, I mean, you kind of like the utopia of that is that all of these different things like diversity and like accessibility and stuff are not things that you have to separately think about. It's just part of what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of where we would love the world to be at. And I think especially... In America, uh, it seems to be Ooh. tough, right? Well, it's about questioning the assumptions you bring to your sure, absolutely your game design yeah. mm-hmm. and game art direction. All right, well, that got serious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's um, let's wrap it up with this. Let's. Uh, uh, here's my question for Colin, and this is a softball question for you. Are you ready? Nice. All right. Uh, what are your three favorite games under the greater umbrella? of frg so this can be any line i don't care and let's talk about those games and why people listening to this might be totally into those games and hopefully we'll have played at least one of them so we can talk, I have talk a about feeling that one of those three is going to be draftosaurus i mean it's possible <laughs> it's possible but um i figure this is a nice softball to wrap up with i'm going to massage the question and answer with what are my three current and okay. so that adds a little uh, typical colin and i'll <laughs> use that as kind of a through line to include more than three because i'm wily like that 
Oh yeah, we do that all the time. Our top fives are usually seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. more of a guideline. Right. What I would say is, um, I've played two games recently that are coming out later this year that I'm extremely excited about uh, from two of the publishers we've spoken about already, and uh, another title that is. Um, pretty recent that you mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, the first I'll mention, I am a big fan of Jekyll versus Hyde. Oh, it's so Jekyll good. versus Hyde. It's very, very good. It scratches a particular itch. And this is my submission to the card game section uh, <laughs> of, our, of our catalog. Uh, it is a two player asymmetric trick taking game set in the uh, mythos of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's uh Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, with art by Vincent Dutre, uh, who uh, works with the Korean publisher Mandu Games. And uh, this game was brought to our attention during the kind of mid-pandemic, the mid-plague years. We had (laughs) different sections now. And we played a lot of this online. Uh, We played a lot of this to test it out, kick the tires, to see what we were getting into. And it really uh, shone on a board game arena for us in terms of, oh, okay. Especially as we started to explore how you could make a trick-taking game asymmetric and compelling. And this one, I find, is a standard for... I grew up uh, playing a lot of card games. I find talking to a lot of, as we were discussing, uh, US gamers, North American players, uh, a big distinction for us versus a lot of Europeans is the Americana of certain kinds of games. Like there's hobby mm-hmm. games and then there's like, oh, I don't really play games. It's like, no, no, you played a lot of games as a kid, but you don't think of them as hobby games. Right. And so just you the different versions dominoes of- and poker exactly. and, yes. and baby scrabble. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like growing up playing a lot of different card games with family members and friends in high school in the cafeteria and a grandparents' house. I like a good trick-taking game. And so for this one to come out and do something very different and innovative and replayable was really uh, exciting. And it's been nice to see the word of mouth that has gotten around on this one, because it really, that's the, that's the thing with card games. You want that kind of word of mouth to accompany mm-hmm. the portability of the, of the game. You just move it around. You're like, oh, you should try this. Oh, I'm just yeah. going to gift you this one. I'm going to go buy another copy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. the beauty of a card game. And so yeah. Jekyll versus Hyde for me has really done that in a big way. Well, I will say this. The plan is that this is coming out on Monday, which mm-hmm. is the 26th. Yes. The plan is that this Friday, which when I'm saying this is the 30th, yes. is the day we are releasing our review for this game. Ooh. Well in tried. video form. I know, right? It was it was perfect. Um, so you will be able to see the cards. You'll see us kind of explain how the game works. You'll see our rating. Do we want to spoil that? Probably not. No, you should go watch the video. Head over to yeah, yeah, youtube.com slash the family gamers and, and find that. And yeah, I agree with your excitement. It, how about that? It will not spoil <laughs> anything to say that we really like it. Yes. I mean, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know that already. You We've do. talked about it, I think, the last three weeks in a row. <laughs> So yeah, so um, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Big, big, strong agree. Nice. Jekyll versus Hyde. Number two that I will uh, point to that uh, we played recently is a new game from Horrible Guild, uh, the company that does Potion Explosion Railroad Inc. that we talked about a minute ago. And they have a new game called Evergreen that will be coming out later this year. And Evergreen is by the same designers as Railroad Inc. and Dragon Castle. And 
It is, everyone has their own world board and you are trying to grow forests on uh, your planet that is divided into several different biomes, which are represented both by color and symbol. And the main mechanic of play is that you will draw a card from a central row, which will tell you where on your world you're able to take an action. And an action might be to plant new saplings, to grow saplings into small trees, grow small trees into big trees, things like that. Because ultimately you're trying to score at the end of each round, which is one of the four seasons. You have four rounds of play. And one of the scoring mechanics is spatial based on which direction the sun is facing on your square board that will move round after round. And so that will cast light. Any tree, small trees and large trees that receive light will score points, but every tree casts a shadow and anything caught in the shadow that is the same height or shorter than it will not score points. So you have to kind of think about where and when and how you're planting based on the seasons and based on the different biomes. This game is real chill until it's not. Um, It depends (laughs) on who you play with. Uh, But you have your own board. You're not really engaging with other people's boards. The only way you're engaging with other players is if you're taking a card that is really interesting to another player in the turn order. The turn order is variable based on what choices you make at the card row. And then there's always going to be one card extra on a turn because you'll always have one more card available than there are players. And that last card will go down into something called the fertility zone, which tells you how much those uh, cards of the large trees will be worth in each biome by the end of the game. And so there's some long-term planning, there's some short-term planning, and it is just absolutely beautiful. The team at Horrible uh, did a great job on making this a great presentation, but more than that, in partnering with uh, tree-based foundation charities to ensure that the game is sustainable, to ensure that uh, the imprint on um, manufacturing is as slight as possible. So they really wanted to put their design philosophy in line with their environmental philosophy for the production of this game. And we we salute them for that. We think that's an amazing initiative. And we've been playing this with uh, some folks at shows the past uh, couple of weeks and the response has been great. We're, we're very excited for this game to come out. And uh, I've played a bunch of two-player. We play a lot of Railroad Inc. two-player in my house. I think this is going to go on the shelf at some point in the near future because I can see this being a very easy, quick two-player game for us. Yeah, I pulled it up on BGG while you were talking, and it really looks super neat. It's so good, man. <laughs> will this be at Essen? Uh, yes, there were limited copies at Gen Con. There will be copies at Essen, and we are hoping to have this available in retail stores I'm going to knock on wood. We are aiming for this to be in stores in uh, November before the holiday rush. Um, Very cool. The world is still slightly on fire for shipping logistics, but uh, that is 100% our goal. Absolutely interesting. Yeah, it looks super neat. I am not checking bags for Essen, so I'm traveling extremely lightly. So I probably will not be able to pick up anything, but I do want to play a bunch of stuff while I'm there. So (laughs) this is going to be on the list, I think. Nice. All right. Very cool. All right. The last one that you should play while you're there, which will also be en route for a pre-Christmas release, uh, again, knocking on wood, is something I am overwhelmingly excited for. (laughs) I have been uh, in this business for a little while in various incarnations, and I recall very much when I was in a store when King of Tokyo was released. And King of Tokyo has been one of my family favorites for a long, long time. I got to introduce it to more members of the family last month, and it went over very, very well. It's always easy to pitch Yahtzee with monster punching. We have been shown, and it's starting to trickle out now, 
we've been having it at uh, shows, they are going to be releasing King of Monster Island. And King oh. of Monster Island is their new big box game, new standalone game. And this is going to be in the same kind of rectangular style box as the uh, Monster Box King of Tokyo edition that came out earlier this year, kind of that all-in-one. And it is King of Tokyo Cooperative. Wow. And the idea is now that you will all have your own monster as usual, but there will be a single big bad that you will have to take on that is looking to rain down minions upon the planet and take over. And my extremely dated and bizarre analogy is that uh, only Garfield gets to kick Odie. You are a giant monster (laughs) and the earth is Odie. And by Gar, no one's going to kick that earth but you. Uh, So you have to all work together as absolutely brand new monsters to the King of Universe and uh, take down this big boss. So the dice are slightly different. It includes an awesome split base dice tower that seeds a new kind of die, the boss dice, to various parts of the map, the island, in order to help you kind of activate the boss's move, like a pandemic or a cooperative like that. It's Mm -hmm. boss move, your move, boss move, your move. So Mm -hmm. you just get to throw some dice into a cool dice tower each turn and then move the boss around to hurt you and do stuff. This game is real good fam it still feels like king. i was surprised at how much like king of tokyo it feels like you're still yelling at each okay. other but now it's productive yelling it's collaborative <laughs> like no you need to hit him right now he you need to do this one you pincer him no get over <laughs> yeah exactly but together, yelling together now. yes um, yes I love it's it. awesome table presence it still looks exactly like you want a king of tokyo game to look like if you've got someone that's like, I, you know, that's all cool and well, but my daughter only wants to play Cyber Bunny, no problem. You just bring Cyber Bunny in. Like, there's a lot of things that they've done to really make it uh, integrated into the universe because they yellow is very protective in a positive sense. It's very sure, protective and deliberate with their King of line. And we want to, sure. we're looking forward to what's coming with them and that line uh, in the coming years. But Monster Island pff, is a blast. Like, it's just, it's, it is exactly King of Tokyo in that I'm going to have a good time and yell at my friends and family. <laughs> does that now. Love it. Cooperatively. All right. You know, it's funny, this kind of mechanic, like, I don't, maybe it was Fireball Island, the remake, that kind of kicked off people thinking about this mechanic of drop stuff in the center and it splits out kind of thing. Like, if I think mm. back over the last five years, that's the first time I remember like you drop it in and you don't know where it's going to come out and a bunch of board games are coming out now that kind of have that mechanic I think of like the loop yeah. had that that oil spill game from Smirk and Dagger has yep. it spill this, yep spill yep uh this game has it but that mechanic does not get old uh, no and it's, <laughs> it's, it's always game, fun you know yes yeah. it's yes it's always fun and uh and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun here yeah so so Jekyll versus Hyde is already out and uh, both of those games, Evergreen and King of Monster Island, are expected to be out for holiday this year. That, that's the one hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I think that King of Monster Island is going to be under some trees. I maybe, maybe even an Evergreen. Uh, oh, oh, come on! That was pretty good. I was allow it. All right. All right. I I thought that was a pretty good joke. Just, I didn't even. Uh, that was on the fly. No. I, no. Right. Very good. Yes. All right. Oh, I don't know about the 8.5 from the Italian judge. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that we should end on that note. Why not end right. with a dad joke? All right. 
All right. Seems appropriate. (laughs) Colin, if people have questions about any of the brands that Flat River Group represents, how can they find you or whomever would be able to answer those questions? So uh, I would invite folks to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to reach out. They can do so at at Flat River Games for both of those accounts. Uh, We will be posting and responding to questions about those games and the different titles and publishers that we represent. Also, you can always email us at hobby, H-O-B-B-Y, hobby, at flatrivergroup.com. That is our email address for a variety of different customer service and questions about publishers, questions about retailers and availability. We want to be able to get to those as quickly as possible. And that's the best email address for that. So those three options, I think, are the best ways for you to get in touch with us about our products and our publishers. Well, Anitra, where can people find The Family Gamers online? We think the best place is to go to our website, thefamilygamers.com. That's where you're going to see that Jekyllverse Hyde review. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's going to be great. You will, however, also be able to find it on our YouTube channel, The Family Gamers. But on all of the other social media around the web, we are at Family Gamers AA for Andrew and Anitra. Find us there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. All of the things. Of course, if you've got questions for us, we got an email this week letting us know. Actually, I think it was a Twitter DM this week. Our DMs are open. That there is something coming for science. So there will be some for science coming up possibly next week. Very excited. You can always email us, though, Andrew at TheFamilyGamers.com. Anitra at TheFamilyGamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise at TheFamilyGamers.com forward slash merch. If you wanted to uh, also contribute some weird foods for <laughs> science to the podcast, you can send those to The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. All of this information is in the podcast show notes, which you can find either on our website or in your smartphone app, whatever, swipe right, (laughs) and it'll all be there. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. All right. Well, Colin, this was a lot of fun. This was so um, great. I love hearing about new games. I love hearing about the excitement. I think that both Evergreen and King of Monster Island look amazing because I pulled both of them up while you were talking about them. Perfect. I'm so glad that we agree on Jekyll versus Hyde. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's been an absolute blast to see you and chat with you. It's been too long since we've had a chance to get together, especially since I know I'm not going to see you in a couple of weeks. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it has been a pleasure. This was great. Thank you for having me. All right. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. You got it. So until next week, everybody, play games with your kids. kids.